Holy Spirit. And I am nothing without you, O God. So have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, say amen. Thank you so much, choir, for ushering us through your ministry of music into this worshipful setting. Amen. There's nothing like worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. First Kings chapter 22. Verse 35 and following. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then, as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. I want to preach the final sermon today in this series of sermons entitled, Not for Sale. I trust that this series has been a blessing to you. And thanks be to God and through working through our technology and Brother Mike Argo, uh, our sermons are now on the internet, the World Wide Web, www.mygoodhope.org. And they are even available for podcast. Amen. And so the Good Hope message now is able to go around the world. So not only will you hear my preaching, but you will hear the preaching of our very dynamic associate pastor staff. Amen? Amen. Now on last week when we left the scene of our text, Zedekiah the prophet of Ahab, the lead prophet of Ahab, if you will, had just slapped Micaiah, the prophet of God, in the face. Ahab, anxious to move forward with his attack against King Ben-Hadad and the Syrian army in order to conquer and take over a plot of land called Ramoth Gilead, ordered Micaiah, God's prophet, to be sent to prison with meager rations of bread and water. And in addition, he ordered that Micaiah's life be made as miserable as possible. It's as though he thought that by getting rid rid of God's messenger, he could get rid of God's message. He thought that perhaps by inflicting pain on God's messenger, he could somehow another remove the judgment of God's message. Ahab arrogantly 
assures the crowd that he would be successful in battle and that he would return to them safely. Micaiah's last response to King Ahab is recorded in verse 28 where he says, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. I wish you'd track along with me today in your Bibles, on your iPad, iPhones, whatever methodology you want to use. Now, with Micaiah's words, freshly spoken, the king of Israel, Ahab, and the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Now remember, Ramoth Gilead is the land Ahab made up in his mind to take. In other words, he's saying, I got to have it. And, 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 and he was going to take it from King Ben-Hadad and the mighty Syrian army. Once they arrived at the battle site, Ahab unveils his battle strategy. And in verse 30, he says to Jehoshaphat, notice this in your Bibles. He says, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your robes, your royal robes, so the king of Israel disguised himself, and he went into battle. Now, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it does not take rocket science to figure out that there is something seriously wrong with this picture. Am I right about it? Notice what he just said. He says, now, you dress up in your royal robes, and I'll disguise myself, and then we'll go out into battle. Now, this picture reveals several things or indicators of Ahab's flawed character. Because now, by now, you understand that his character, even though he was in a leadership position, was flawed. His character, even though he was a king, was flawed. This, this setup, if you will, reveals several important things about his flawed character. First, Ahab cares only about himself. What he wants, when he wants it, and why he wants it is the most important thing on his agenda. Second, Ahab is a user. He sees people and things as objects to be used and stepping stones to exploit in order to get what he wants. He cares nothing about the people. All he is concerned about is, 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 is using them to get whatever it is he wants. Some years ago, a good friend of mine, he was a retired pastor. I was right after retiring from the military. I was at my first pastorate, and uh, 
I met him. His name was Dr. Lampkin. He was about 90 years old at that time. And, and God put us together. And he said to me one day, he says, Pickett, he said, you need an older man in your life to help you. Because I was in a very difficult situation, a very challenging situation. And then Dr. Lampkin said to me, Pastor Lampkin, he said, and I need a young man in my life now to help me. So God put us together, and, and, and we would meet together during the week, and, and we, would, we would talk about things, and he would impart wisdom and knowledge in my life from many years of pastoring. And I enjoyed being with Dr. Lampkin. And, and one day we were together, and, and we were talking about things, and he said, he said this to me. He said, son, he said, do not, do not allow people to use your hands to pick peanuts out of the fire. I had never heard that before. And I'm from South Carolina. I've heard all kind of sayings. And what Dr. Lampkin was saying is, a long life journey, you will encounter people who are users and, and, and who want shady things done. Who want things done under the table? Who want things done that are not right to do? And if you allow them, they will use your hands, your position, your status, your gifts, your abilities to do it. And so he looked at me. He said, young man, don't do that. He said, don't allow people to use your hands to pick peanuts out of the fire. In other words, if they want dirty work done, let them do it. Let them do it themselves. And so it was. Jehoshaphat followed Ahab to do dirty work, and, and Ahab used his hands to pick peanuts out of the fire. The third character flaw by Ahab is that Ahab was really a coward. He had a lot of bluff in his game. He had a lot of bullying in his game, but in actuality, he was a coward. He talked big, but he depended on others to defend him and to protect him. But not only does this picture reveal several indications of Ahab's flawed character, it reveals indications of Jehoshaphat's forsaken caution. You see, he has, Jehoshaphat that is, has abandoned the danger signs, the warning signals, the red lights flashing, admonishing him to move away from Ahab and his wicked exploits. As a result, he's beginning now to take risks that at the very least can, can harm him and at the very worst can Cost him his life. He's hanging around with the wrong people. He's allowing the wrong people to influence him. He, he's thrown caution to the wind, if you will. But now get this. Get this. This, this is about progression. How did he wind up in this predicament? What were the subtle, seductive steps? 
and even the silent steps that led this godly king into his present predicament. How he got there, he got there by making three costly compromises. First, he married his son to a daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. That's the bridal compromise. In other words, he compromised because he knew it was wrong. He compromised because he knew that his son had no business being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Jezebel came from a family of pagans who worshiped Baal. And yet Jehoshaphat let down his standards and allowed his son to marry this pagan woman. Second, he allowed himself to get entangled in the unrighteous affairs of Ahab. That is to attack King Ben-Hadad and Syria. That's the battle compromise. The battle compromise is this. When we allow ourselves to get caught up in stuff, in battles that don't even belong to us, it starts way back on the playground in elementary school. When you go to school and, and your friend, your buddy, walks up to you and he says, I don't like him. Or she says, I don't like her. And you go, well, why don't, why don't, why don't you like him? What have they ever done to you? They, I, don't, I just don't like them. And so instead of trying to get to know the person for yourself, for ourselves, we take on somebody else's issue. And then before we know it, we fighting in the playground, we in trouble, don't even know why we fighting the person. Go to the office and the principal says, well, what, what, why, what are you fighting about? Well, I don't know. My friend said that she didn't like her. Yeah, that's, that's the battle compromise. Third, Jehoshaphat ignored the word of God as spoken through the prophet Micaiah. That's the blatant compromise. In other words, Jehoshaphat knew what God said, but he chose to go in a different direction. That's the blatant compromise. When we know what God's word says, when I read the word for myself, I understand the word for myself, but I take on the attitude like Ford Corporation years ago. Ford has a better idea. Has anybody ever been there? Have you ever read the book? Have you ever heard the word? Have you ever seen the warning light flashing and yet we, we move in that direction anyway? I got a better idea. That's where Jeho uh, Jehoshaphat was. And as a result of his compromises, Jehoshaphat finds himself engulfed in drama and trauma he has no business being involved in. Verses 31 and 32 reveals that the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, fight with no one small or great but only with the king of Israel. What Ben-Hadad is saying is, we're going to battle, and I don't want to waste any arrows, and I don't want to waste any ammunition, I don't want to waste any enemies on anybody else. I want you to go to battle, I want you to find Ahab, I want you to kill him, I want you to take him out, and then we can go home. Since I ain't fixing to be out here all day, I got things I want to do. 
You know, I got stuff I want to get accomplished, and so I want to be messing around with this thing and losing a lot of folk and getting a lot of folk hurt, and I got to get home to mama. So this is what I want you to do. Just find him. Zero in on him. Kill him, and then we'll go home. He says, so don't you get in no fight with nobody, big or small, or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they picked him out. Why? Because he's sitting up in there with all his robes on. It's kind of like people walking in church and they try looking around. Well, that must be the pastor there because he got, he got the robe on. And so, and so they saw him. They said, surely it is the king of Israel, a case of mistaken identity. They see Jehoshaphat, but they're thinking that it's Ahab, and they are getting ready to take him out. Help me, Holy Ghost. Surely it is the king of Israel, they said. Therefore, they turned aside to fight him. And the Bible says, read your Bible, Jehoshaphat cried out, exclamation point. Now, associate pastors, I had a little fun with this, this research this week. Can I tell you something? When the pastors come preach, they come, you know, with with research and prayer. They put a lot of work into into what they bring forth. And and so so this week while working, I had some, some fun with this. The text tells us that Jehoshaphat cried out. But inquiring minds want to know who did he cry to and what did he cry? Am I right about it? I mean, when you start reading it now, you don't just read that, but you read, okay, now, if he cried out, who did, I know why he's crying, so I got the why question answered, but, but now, who is he crying out to, and what is he saying? Well, even though the text does not give us a specific answer, I want to leave with you just three possibilities. First, Jehoshaphat could have cried out to his men for help. He could have said, look, 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 I'm in a tight, tight situation here. So he could have called on his posse. He could have called on his boys. He could have called on his group. You know, I need you. That's the first thing. Second, Jehoshaphat could have cried out to his enemies saying, hold up. Wait a minute. I'm not the guy you want. I know you're looking for Ahab, but I'm Jehoshaphat. So he could have cried out to his enemies. The third possibility, and, and this is where this is where this is where I this is where I am. Jehoshaphat could have cried out to God for mercy. Oh God, I'm in a terrible situation, and if you don't help me, if you don't come to see about me, if you don't intervene, I'm done. Yeah, 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 you know, I'm in one of those situations now that, that if you don't come through today, if you don't do something in a hurry, if you don't fix this situation now, it's curtain time for me. Lights are out. Now, now Jehoshaphat's cry serves as a monumental reminder to us that there are some situations in life where the only cry worth making is a crowd to God. Yeah. 
I wish I had somebody. And, and if you hadn't got there yet, just keep on living. In the, in the, in the process, if, if you hadn't been there yet where, where the only cry worth making is a cry out to God, just keep on living. Sometimes the only cry worth making is a cry to God. Saying, oh God, if you don't come through, if you don't help me, if you don't intervene in this situation, I, I, I'm done. Some years ago, since Pickett and I were celebrating a wedding anniversary somewhere in, in Mexico, I, it might have been Cancun, it might have been Cozumel, because I'm always trying to impress her with stuff, you know. So I was like surprising her this trip. You know, where we going this year? You know, I, I don't know, sweet. I'll take care of it. You know, I'll take care of it. Where we going? I'll take care of it. So, 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 so one year, this may have been a particular year. I didn't even let her know, you know, until we were like get on, en route, you know, en route to the airport. And uh, so I, we were in Mexico, and I was swimming. I'm an avid swimmer. I love I loved swimming. And so while swimming in the ocean, I ventured out too far. And, and, and when I got out there, I realized I was out too far, and I tried to come back in, but I was caught in what's known as an undertow, an undercurrent. Now, the harder I tried to swim to shore, the more the current and the waves took me back. And so, and so I could look up just enough. The waves would come in, and whenever the waves came in, I went up. I could see how far away I was from, from the shoreline, and I could, I could see my wife. And even though I was way out in the ocean, I could see the fear in her eyes. Not only could I see the fear in her eyes about the second time I came up, I could see the crowd of people that were there on the beach. They, were, they had started together, together. And then I came up again, and I saw, I saw the lifeguard running back and forth, frantically, and he was, he was, he was waving, and, but there was nothing he could do. I was too far away to get his lifeline, and I couldn't, I couldn't get back. I couldn't swim. The harder I tried, the more difficult it got. And so in my desperation, I cried out, not to the lifeguard. But to the God of life. Are you listening to me today? And I remember the words I said to God just like they were yesterday. And this was probably over 20 years ago, maybe on our 10th or so anniversary. I remember the words I cried out, oh God. Not like this. Please don't let me die. On my anniversary. Now, now I know a lot of people. Then I, 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 I had a good pastor, but he couldn't help me. I, I had good preacher friends, but they couldn't help me, and even my wife could not help me. She was standing on the shoreline with fear in her eyes, and fear had gripped her heart. I cried out to God. Don't let me die like this, not on my anniversary. And you know what? You know, as I reflected on this, I had a firsthand experience 
of what the disciples meant when they were out on the storm. And Jesus showed up and he spoke. He calmed the wind and the waves. And you know what they said? They, they said, they said, what manner? Help me, Holy Ghost. What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey his voice. Yeah. And so and so and so God heard my cry. And he delivered me from, from the grips of a watery grave. And I'm here today because God kept me. I'm alive today because God kept me. There will be times in life, my brothers and sisters, when crying out to God alone is the only answer. Charles Wesley, the hymn writer, reiterates the relevance of this profound biblical truth with these words. Wesley wrote, Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know if thou withdraw thy hand from me. Oh, whither well, I, shall I go? What did that only son endure before I drew my breath? What pain, what agony to ensure, secure my soul from endless death. Point one, sometimes a cry out to God. It's the only significant cry. At times in life, as my grandmother used to say, that God is the only somebody that can help you. I think I'm going to leave it right there today. I think I'm going to leave it right there today. Somebody needs to hear that. That needs to resonate that there are times when God is the only somebody that can help you. Just a little while, the communion table will be spread. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, you need to cry out today because he is the only one that can help you. You come to Jesus just as you are, weary, wounded, and sad. You'll find in him a resting place, and God will make you glad. Doors of the church are open.